We're going to get into a little bit more theological topic then. We're going to look at the Bible and discover some, some doctrine, some theology, and it's about sin. What does the Bible say about sin? This is going to be awesome. This is, this is exciting. What do you guys think about sin when, when you hear that word? Do you get really excited? Yeah? <laughs> maybe, maybe you're like, you know, you're thinking about, oh, no. Man, they're going to find out about my secrets, that thing that I've been keeping from everybody. What, maybe you're thinking about uh, Sin City, you know, Las Vegas. Maybe you visited there just a little while ago. Maybe you had a good time and you're wondering, you know, is that what he's talking about today? Well, we're going to get into what the Bible says about sin. And we have this working definition that we're going to use and have used um, a lot throughout the pursuit. And it says this, sin is going your own way, trusting and acting on your own opinions and feelings instead of on God's truth. Now you're like, maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I like my own opinions and my own feelings. Those lead me to great things sometimes. You know, sometimes I, I, I feel like doing something and I do it, and is that wrong? Well, I think we've got to measure everything against God's truth. So sometimes we do have feelings or opinions or things that we want to do and, and especially that are good things that God is, that are within God's will and that God wants us to do. But when we act outside of God's will and we do things that he said not to do or we do things that ultimately take him off the throne of authority in our lives and put ourselves there, that's called sin. The Bible actually even says that anything that you know you should do and then don't do is sin. Um, and so it's a very broad topic, but we're going to boil it down to where did sin come from and who does it affect? First of all, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 in the beginning. Where did sin come from? It's called the fall. You know, the first two chapters of the Bible in Genesis um, talk about God. He created the world. Um, in six days, he created everything, you know, everything that you could see, and then he rested on the seventh day, and creatures, and the earth, and the universe, and the stars, and human beings were all created, and Adam and Eve were the first human beings in the garden with God. They had communion with him, and God said, this is very good. This is a good thing that God created. But then we get to chapter 3 to find out what is actually wrong with humanity. This is where this concept of the fall of humanity comes from. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter 3, 1, ver 1 through 3. The serpent, and this is Satan, by the way. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. <clears throat> so we have this interesting scene that's happening now. You know, God's two human beings that he's created, Adam and Eve, they're enjoying this abundance of goodness that God created. And God had said that there's one tree you can't touch. But here you can see that Satan is doing what he always does, what he's famous for. He's twisting God's words and he's getting the woman to question, did God say, did God really say this? Did God mean to say that you can't enjoy any of the fruit in the garden? And he's trying to confuse her. He's trying to convince her. He's trying to sway her. And here's the interesting thing. 
that Adam's nowhere in the picture at the moment. So oftentimes Eve gets a really bad rap because we're going to see what she ends up choosing to do. But Adam's nowhere, and he's supposed to be helping lead. You know, he's supposed to be the spiritual leader of his, that family, and he's nowhere to be found. And so she's left all to her own, being seduced by Satan himself, trying to get her to believe there's a better way. Do you really need to trust God? So let's go on in the story, verses 4 through 6. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. So Adam comes into the picture now, and she says, hey, this guy told me that, that there's a better way than God's way. And it actually looks good. From my own eyes, I see that this tree is beautiful. Even though God had provided all of this abundance, the whole garden, everything that God created, but this one tree that they couldn't touch. But Satan deceives her, and she says, yeah, try this. And he doesn't stand up. He knows he should be following God too, but he says, you know, that does look good. And the other thing about it is this idea of wisdom he tricks her into thinking that she could be smarter than God. Isn't that really the, the core of what sin is? Is we know what God has said about something, but we say, well, God must not be that smart. Or he must not be relevant today, you know, so many of thousands of years later since this was written. God doesn't know that this is good or, or these people are happy or love is love or all this type of stuff. God doesn't know. He should change his mind. I know better than God. That's really what we're saying when we go our own way and trust our own opinion and our own feelings is we're saying I'm smarter than God. I'm more wise than God. I can make better decisions. His way just really doesn't work for me. I'm going to do what's best for me, what feels good, what's in my heart. And that is pride, ultimately. At the, the heart of sin, at the heart of the first sin is this pride. And, and this is where human beings take the turn for the worse, you know? This is where the fall happens because everything was good, but then they disobey God and then what happens is, is all these consequences come in and death comes in and things aren't good anymore. And this is where it all started, was in the garden. But even before humanity fell, let's get to this question, where did the serpent come from? And why is he a serpent and why is the serpent talking? Now, I can't ask, answer every question that you could possibly have if you want to ask me more. You know, email me, eric at alpinechurch.org. I would love to talk more about it. I don't have enough time right now, but... This serpent comes, where did he come from? Well, that's, again, like I said, it's Satan. And Satan, did you know, used to be an angel in heaven? Before all this happened, Satan was an angel in heaven, and something happened in his own heart, this pride that said, I want to be better than God. I want to be smarter than God. I want to be higher than God. And so Satan got kicked out of heaven for that. Before all of this happened, Satan gets kicked out of heaven down to earth, actually into the lower portions of the spiritual realm, which could be called Hades or Sheol. But he's cast out of God's presence, basically. And you can find a little snippet of that in Isaiah 14. 
says this, how, are you, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low, you said in your heart. And to pay attention, these five I wills. He says in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, hell, to the far reaches of the pit. God cast Satan and a third of the angels went with him. Out of heaven, out of God's presence in this heavenly realm, now they're able to sway people. And, and, and so apparently they were, and Satan himself is in the garden trying to initiate the fall of humanity. Because you know what? He's angry. He's angry at God. He wants to be God, and that was taken away from him. He was cut down. Again, you can see another snippet of this in Ezekiel 28. You should go study this for yourselves. But from the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud because of your beauty, for the sake of your splendor, you're corrupt, you corrupted your wisdom, so I threw you down to the earth. You see the pride. You know, the Bible says, uh, there, before pride comes a fall. Um, there's a fall of humanity and even the, the angels in heaven because of pride, because they didn't want to have to do it God's way. They wanted to trust their own opinions and their own feelings about life and everything in it. Wanting to be wiser than God. That is the start of sin. That's the origination of sin. And so then the question is, what does this mean for all of us because of that? Where are we at now in relation to sin? Well, we've all been infected by sin now. Because of the fall of the first human beings, it's now passed down to us. And now there's this brokenness. We look out to the world and we see creation is broken. People were supposed to live forever. Now they're dying with sicknesses and people hate each other. And there's confusion out there in the world about what it means to be a man or a woman and, and what it means to love one another, what it means to follow God. There's all these different religions out there because of the fall of humanity. They can't get along. They don't love each other. They certainly don't pursue God or love God, and they want to go their own way. Part of it is because of Satan, but we can't blame all of our problems on him, but he is certainly still alive and active today, and because of this sin and because of his temptations and because of our own nature, there's a brokenness in all of us that we have to deal with. See, sin brings brokenness in every way, keeping us from experiencing the fullness of life that God wants for us. You know, you can look out at all the brokenness in the world, right? I mean, you look at it in our society, in our culture today, you look at it in our leaders, you look at it in ourselves, we can see it in our kids, we can see it in the world, you know, you got natural disasters even, and you wonder why things don't work the way they're supposed to. Kind of like, you know, going on a road trip, you know, you bought a vehicle, and midway through, you break down. I did that one time. We were on our way to Reno, and we broke down. And I'm thinking, this vehicle was made to be able to get me from point A to point B, 
but it broke down. Why isn't it working? Well, the problem is, is we haven't figured out how to make a vehicle that lasts forever, first and foremost. Secondly, they need maintenance, and I probably, that's my fault. <laughs> probably didn't change the oil at the right intervals, and some things, went, things happened. But things don't work properly, and things go wrong in life because of this brokenness. We don't last forever. Our bodies wear out. Our hearts are cold and broken towards other people even. Relationships fail. The sadness of life is as a result of the fall of humanity. And Satan in the garden, he still does it today, but he was trying to, he wants to rob the joy of humanity. He wants to steal. He wants, he wants to lie and say that sin is fun. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Like if, if, if anybody ever told you that sin is never fun, they're lying. Okay? Sin is fun. Otherwise, people wouldn't be drawn to it. But it's only fun for a little while until the consequences start coming in. But Satan lies and says, no, God doesn't want us to have any fun. He wants to take away all the joy and all the happiness. And, and you know better. And Jesus kind of says this in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't listen to him. He's going to try to deceive you. His way is the way of death. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus now is saying, now I've had to come back again to bring this life that you've lost from the brokenness of the fall of sin. I'm coming to fix it so that you can have an abundant life again, so that you can have a rich and satisfying life, so that you can have eternal life. But we're struggling in this war that you can see in these, these, this sentence here. There's a war of good and evil almost. You know, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, there's a war between what is right and what is wrong. Lies and truth. And we have Satan working in the world to try to deceive us because he's angry that he got kicked out of heaven. He wants to be God. He wants to have his own kingdom. He wants to set apart you and me for his little kingdom and eventually take us all to hell with them because that's where we're headed if we continue in that direction. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? So we got the world system which Satan is influencing. We got Satan himself who's lying out there to everyone and everybody's listening. But then, as I said, we can't blame everything on him. We also have this nature of ours that just naturally, that's what it means, nature, our flesh, we just naturally want to go and do these things that are selfish and self-centered and sometimes disgusting and hurtful rather than going God's way. You know, Paul makes a list about this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is what it looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't how godly people live. This is how fleshly people live. But the interesting thing is, is that we're all born to do this. I'm going to ask you to be honest for a second. How many has done at least one thing on this list? 
I'm not seeing all the hands. Come on, man. Let's go. You know, I like to ask this question um, when I'm mentoring someone or in a small group. You know, we get to these sin lists. This isn't a comprehensive list, by the way. Uh, there's a lot more sins. Um, but I'll say, man, you know, I, honestly, if I am honest about that, I have probably done every single thing on that list. And then the person I'm mentoring is like, whoa, why is this guy mentoring me? You know, this is not, why is he our pastor at this church? Well, the reality is, is God saved me from this. He saved me from this lifestyle of being selfish, of following after my own desires. One of those on there, um, I would bring up sorcery. I'm sure all of you are like, I'm not guilty of that, right? Harry Potter, that's not me. I might, I might have read those books, but... Well, you know, the word in the Greek is pharmakeia, which is where we get our word pharmacy from, actually. And, and so... Using drugs or uh, substances that are mood-changing, mind-altering in a, in a sinful manner, in a way that uh, causes you to escape or to feel feelings you don't want to feel anymore or to, uh, in their day, they would have used drugs and herbs and all kinds of different things, drunkenness even, and orgies and all this type of stuff. They would have used it in their practice in the pagan world in their practice of worshiping other gods, of trying to hear voices, trying to hear and get visions and dreams and all that type of stuff. And so, so maybe some of you are guilty of sorcery. <laughs> I am. Um, that was one of my struggles um, among a lot on these lists. No, not necessarily like doing any seances or anything, but I got stuck in drug addiction for a long time in my life and, and uh, God saved me out of that. You know, in the, the, the depths of my sin, I, it took me to places that I didn't want to go. It started out as fun. It started out as parties. It started out, you know, okay, everybody's doing it, right? But then it ended up leading me to places that eventually I knew that this is wrong. This is sick. I need help outside of myself. I can't do this on my own. But why am I like this? I tried to quit, you know, doing these things and I couldn't. I had no power in me to quit whatsoever. It's because I, I am not um, in and of myself capable of not doing this stuff. Maybe I could, I could strengthen myself. And not everybody struggles with the same sin and the same temptation. But all of us are guilty of some kind of sin. I'll go to another list in Romans 1.30 says they are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Everybody's disobeyed their parents, right? This is where it all starts. That's the thing about humanity is you don't ever have to train a kid to disobey their parents. You don't have to train them to lie or to cheat or to, to hurt their family members. You know, isn't that interesting? Well, that's kind of the doctrine of original sin. We are born with this broken, sinful nature as a result of the fall where we don't have to be taught to be evil. We just naturally do it because that's who we are at the core of our being in humanity. Even though we were made in the image of God, it was marred by sin. And so it also says they invent new ways of sinning. One of my favorite theologians, John Calvin, in the Institutes of Christian Religion, he was a reformer um, back in the 1500s. 
It says a man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. We're constantly making up all kinds of new ways to sin. You know, we're, imagine a conveyor belt coming out of your heart, of your own opinions, your own desires, your own ideas, and it's just constantly dreaming up. How can I make my own kingdom? How can I even make a God who suits my interests better than the God of the Bible? I want to have a God that's like kind of some of that stuff in the Bible, but kind of some other stuff, you know, because God wants me to be happy ultimately. That's why he exists. And so we make up our own idol. We make up our own gods. Because we ultimately want to be the wise one. We want to make all the decisions. We don't like authority. That's why it starts with the disobeying of the parents. You know, that's why it was one of those commandments. Honor your father and mother. Because we were the first authority figure in our parents' or in our kids' lives that God, God wanted to set an example. Okay? Kids, honor your parents as your parents honor God. And eventually they would grow up and they would see this authority figure. You know, God is king and he deserves to be our authority in our lives. The Bible tells us that we are this broken, okay? That we, we can only sin. Even the great things that we do, the good things that we do are tainted. Isaiah says, your good deeds are like dirty rags to me. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitfully wicked and broken. Who can know it? Our heart wants to make up all kinds of new ways of sinning. The Bible in Ephesians 2, it says we are dead then, are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're like the walking dead. This is what he wrote to uh, the Ephesians, and uh, this is a church, and they'd all been saved out of this sinful nature, a lot like many of us. And it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, with which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's talking about Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, there's a lie out there that says that we were all God's children when he created us. Or we existed beforehand and, and we were sent down here to earth as this test. And that we're all in some way, shape, or form, you know, going to go back to the Father. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when we were created we were created in the mother's womb at conception. This is why it's such a big deal for Christians to fight for, for life. But we were created then, and we're given a soul then, and we have a mind then, and, and that's when we start to exist. And we are born not God's children, but we are children of wrath. We're headed to hell. We are like the walking dead that's eventually going to go to our resting place. That is humanity. If you think about zombies and you think about carrying out the passions of your flesh, you ever seen a zombie movie? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you know anything about zombies, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a professional, you know, zombieologist or whatever, but they're like walking around dead like this. And what are they doing? They're basically, you know, kind of dumb and single-minded. And I, I'm sorry, I'm not calling you guys all, all of us dumb and single-minded, but they're only seeking out their one desire the thing that's programmed in them to do, it's to get their fix, right? They want to eat brains or something like that, right? They're looking for people and they're constantly 
going after what their body desires. They are controlled by that. That is what we are controlled by. The Bible says in Romans that we are slaves to our sinful nature. We can't do anything about it. And so therefore, because of being born into this, because of sinning ourselves, the wages we earn because of it, we've earned ourselves to be separated from God for eternity. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We've earned death. You know, when you work for something, you get paid for it. Well, the work of our flesh gets paid for what it deserves. The justice of what happens for being a human and then going on to sin and live our own way and trust our own opinions and our own ideas, the justice that happens because of that is that we would go get our own way then. If we don't want God's way, then we'll go the opposite way. But you know, if God is everything good, then the place that we're headed, the place that human beings are headed, is everything outside of God's goodness, the suffering. And the Bible says that we don't only die once in this life, but there's the possibility of dying twice. And that second death is very scary. Revelation 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the the Harry Potters, the sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There is a judgment that will come one day at the end of our lives. And there's a great white throne judgment. And when, when God opens the books, there's this book that's called the book of life. And everybody who's trusted in Jesus for that free gift of salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, they won't be judged in this judgment. But there's another book. And everybody who's not in that book, they're going to say, okay, let me show you what you did. There's a lot of people on the earth that say, I'm a good person. People are basically good. How could a good God send people to hell for just, you know, doing more good? They did more good than they did bad. Well, justice says if you go against God, you earn death at any time, at any point. The Bible says is very clear. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory and therefore justice would be served. And God will open that book and he'll say, you don't think you've sinned against me? You don't think that you wanted to be your own God, just like following your father, the devil, Satan? You don't think you've tried to go your own way? He'll show us all. I'm thankful that I'm not going to be in that book, and I'm not going to be in that judgment, because God provided a way. Here's the thing. We're all born into sin. Therefore, the only way out of it is to be born again. We've got to be born anew. We've all been born in the flesh. We have a mom. Everybody was born from a a mother out of her womb. But that alone will not help us at all. That's actually a curse. We need to be born spiritually, not just physically. We need to be born from heaven. And Jesus says it like this. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What is he talking about being born again? It means to be made new. As I said, we're walking dead. We don't have the spirit of God in us. We are slaves to sin, 
and we need new life to come in us that is not our own, that is God's spirit to come in us and fill us and, and dwell in us. We've got to be born again. Go back to being a baby for a second, but spiritually humble ourselves and say, God, I want to go your way. And at the moment of trusting Jesus, a person is born again, born anew, born from heaven. Now all of a sudden, I don't just have this one nature. Now I have two natures. I have the spiritual nature and the flesh until he comes and gets us and we're glorified. We're going to struggle as Christians even in this life with now two natures. But now we have the power to fight this one. We have the power to go against it. We can still sin as believers too, but thank God that he's covered us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven and we're set free. And he's trying to, in this being born again, when he puts his spirit into our body, when we trust in Jesus that he died on the cross for our sins, thank God that he's working in us and helping us now understand the things that we couldn't understand. He's renewing our mind, helping us to understand that I can't do it on my own, that no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. Nobody seeks God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Nobody really does good. Only bad people exist. And now I know there's a lot of people out there in the world that can seemingly do good things, and we can be good. You know, this idea of being fallen and depraved doesn't mean that we're as evil as we possibly could be. Now, there are people that are out there. But certainly, as I said before, everything is tainted with sin. We are not truly wise. We are not seeking God. We go our own way. You know, David understood this doctrine. This is what it's called, the doctrine of original sin, because Adam and Eve were the fathers of humanity, and they fell. The result is through their DNA, we are all from the human race, and the human race is fallen, and that's called the doctrine of original sin. We must understand where we come from and where we're headed in order to figure out where we're going. This is the bad news. David says it like this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. In my DNA, it was wired that I was an enemy of God. That's what David is saying. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. There is no one that can have an excuse. No one that stands before God and says, I, I can meet your standard. No one can do that. And that's why God made a solution to our problem. That's why God decided to send his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Only God himself could take a take away the problem that we had gotten into. There was not a sacrifice in all of the world that could handle the sins of the human race. But God himself could do that. We're going to talk more about who Jesus is next week and what he did and how to put your faith in him, but I will never leave on a Sunday without sharing with you a short message of the gospel so that you can respond. You see, this is the bad news. I knew this was going to be a heavy topic, I didn't plan for it to be on a you know, July 4th weekend, but I'm very happy that we have a good crowd here today. But this is a heavy topic. It's bad news. And so you can't understand how good the good news is 
without understanding the bad news. You know, the good news means gospel. The gospel is, is that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins by being the sacrifice and dying on the cross. And then he rose again to show us that he had victory and power over sin and over death. And now this sin that we were born with can no longer keep us down, can no longer keep us as slaves. And so if you leave here today, I want you to understand two things. Number one is we can't escape this nature that we have. And therefore, there's a problem that exists. And if we don't do anything about it, that's a scary thing to think about. And I hope that you contemplate that. The whole idea of being able to not just die once, but die twice in eternity in hell forever to be separated from God. There's no chance after death. We must understand where we're headed. We're not born as children of God. Here's what Jesus says, and this is part of the second thing. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but they were born of God. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we can be born afresh, born anew by the will of God. We can be become his children. We are not his children until we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. So for you, that's the second thing. Have you done that yet? And will you trust in Jesus? Will you believe for the rest of your life that Jesus is enough? Do you believe that you've been born again? If you haven't, I would love to talk to you about that. And I pray that if you are here and you're a Christian, you understand this in a deeper way today, that you can now be able to go share this with other people in your life. There are no good people, no, not one. Only Jesus, only, there was only one good person who ever existed and he died for you and me. Will you place your faith and trust in him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for how you've come into the world. You've intervened. Very God of God, son of God steps down to take care of this problem. We've all gone away from you. We all trust in our own opinions and our ideas. Father, we want to be the gods of our own lives. We, we believe, if you're here today, just profess with me in your heart and your mind that we believe that we are sinners, that we've gone against you, and that you provided the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. Father, help us to understand this. Help us to leave here today to be able to share this truth and to just acknowledge it for our own lives. That we're so blessed by grace. We couldn't earn it, we couldn't deserve it, but the gift of Jesus Christ for eternal life we receive by faith alone. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.